0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. And when you go back and listen to Siri on the iPhone 4S, you'll hear that she talks a bit like this. She doesn't have... A flow to her voice because that required a little bit more technological advancement.
1: Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah everybody tuning in you invited you invited no matter what mood you in get excited get excited everybody love the music let me tell you how they do it whether writer or an agent let me tell you how they made it you are now talking to a silent giant want to walk in their shoes silent giants want to study they move silent giants want to know what they do silent giants silent giants (laughs) y'all what's up everybody welcome to the silent giants podcast a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. To keep up with the latest on the podcast, be sure to follow us on Instagram at, at SilentGiantsPodcast. To keep up with the latest with me, hit me up on Instagram at at Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Susan Bennett, the silent giant behind the iconic voice of Siri. Susan is a super talented voiceover actor who has lended her voice to brands like Coca-Cola, IBM, Papa John's, McDonald's, AT&T, Wendy's, Goodyear, Ford, and many others. But of course, we most notably recognize her as Apple's iconic voice of Siri. In this episode, we learn more about Susan, how her career in music led her to a career as a voiceover actor. And of course, we learn the story of how she became the voice of Siri. So without further ado, allow me to introduce you. To the voiceover actor, musician, my friend, the silent giant, Susan Bennett. Yo, what's up, Susan? How are you doing?
0: (laughs) I'm doing fine. How about you?
1: Oh, man, you know, I can't complain. Under the the circumstances that the the world is under right now, I can't complain. Living in Los Angeles, living by the beach.
0: Oh, all right. Hanging
1: out with my dog. Life is good.
0: Good, good. My son lives in Santa Monica.
1: Oh, we're like neighbors. I'm in Venice.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. So I'm, I might see him around in the streets.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know you mentioned you said you're in Atlanta, right?
0: Yeah.
1: How's everything in Atlanta right now?
0: Well, my husband and I have been really good about isolating, so we don't really see too much. You know, we've, we go to the grocery store and, and Target and come back home. So... You know, it's like every other place in the U.S. I think you've got plenty of people that are trying to be helpful and wearing masks and being socially distant. And then you've got the others.
1: (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, I'm not a part of the others. (laughs)
0: That's right. We don't need to get into that. (laughs)
1: But I I do do the double mask, though. I do the, the double mask.
0: Oh, okay.
1: You know. I make it trendy. I get like my my patterns on my mask and everything. Oh yeah,
0: there you go. Oh yeah, yeah
1: for sure, for sure. <laughs> it's it's such an honor to to have you on the podcast. And I start the interviews out the same way every time because Susan, I find that when I, I've had the pleasure of interviewing a lot of great people and people who've achieved a lot of great things in their life and. I think before I got into this world uh, of meeting such amazing people, I kind of thought of success like, oh, it's like picked off of a tree. It's like, you know, it's some random selection type of thing. And then I realized there's a recipe behind it. And I find that two things really determine and mainly determine a person's success, which is what their parents do and who their parents are and also where they're from. So tell me about your hometown and and where you're from and how that shaped you.
0: Well... I was born in Vermont, but I lived there a very short time. I lived all over New England, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and then outside of Providence, Rhode Island. But the part that I really consider that I know best and relate to the most is uh, my junior high and high school years in Clinton, New York. And Clinton, New York is a very, very tiny town, but Hamilton College is there. So it's, it's kind of a cool little place. And um, I was fortunate that my parents moved there because I had a very, very thick New England accent. And when I got to Clinton, New York, fortunately, they have a much more neutral accent. And so I was able to lose my thick New England accent because if I had kept it, I would not have been a voice actor, first of all, and certainly not the voice of Siri. So (laughs) (laughs) I am very, very grateful to Clinton for helping me get rid of my accent. As far as my parents are concerned, they were they had me fairly late in life. And they were people that really had to live through a lot of hardships. They they lived through the flu pandemic of 1918. They lived through two world wars. They lived through a major depression. And then they lived through, through the 1960s hippie years with me. <laughs> and so, you know, they were very pretty conservative, just sort of, you know, middle-class people that just, you know, were good people, but not not very ambitious and very cautious people. So I think that I got some sort of not inspiring lessons from them as a, a person who was a natural performer. And so, you know, because their their thing was they were very cautious people. And they're, they're, I think my mom's mantra was don't impose, which is, you know, really not a very good lesson for a person who's trying to, you know, get out there and, and express himself or herself. So, but they were very good people. They were very supportive and, um, they, they did great considering what they were living through.
1: How does having, um, you know, having older parents shape you?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Well, I think probably they weren't as active as other parents, you know, and of course they weren't that old when they had me, they were like 36 or something. But for that generation, that was really old. I mean, in that generation, people got married right out of high school and college and then had kids right away and stuff. So, so they were sort of, uh, they were sort of unique in that way. And they were just naturally, you know, pretty conservative people in general, but they gave me a lot of opportunities. And once they found out that I was musical at the age of four years old, I was playing a little toy piano. I was playing melodies by ear and neither of my parents is a musical person. And so the next door neighbor heard me out on the porch playing. He called my parents and said, I think you have a musical child. I'm getting ready to move and I want her to have my piano. Wow. So thank you, Mr. Tegner. Yes, he gave me his, uh, his upright piano. So I was able to take piano lessons and ultimately he became a musician. So,
1: you know, I, I would say in my, as I grow older, I'm growing more spiritual And I started realizing, like, for me, I started viewing angels as not these, like, you know, things that, like, float around, you know. Yeah. But, like, things or people that come into your life and drop things there that change the course of your life.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's amazing when you look back on it. You know, at my age, I look back, so many things that happened to me that really directed my life, so many of them seem to be kind of, serendipitous you know it's a not planned and it was just a serious one of those things
1: <laughs> yeah i know you mentioned uh, about the piano what was it like you know growing up playing music did you know instantly when you started playing music that you wanted to be a musician professionally
0: well you know back in those days i didn't think that i could be a musician and actually make a living at it so i hadn't entertained that thought really you know, I went to college and I really basically didn't know what I wanted to do. I just, I wasn't one of those lucky people that said, oh, I'm going to be a doctor, you know, and started going to school for those. I didn't have any specific goal. And so I just figured, well, I guess I'll teach, you know, that was the thing to fall back on. And so when I was in college, so I had the opportunity to sing in a band and actually start making money, you know, working with a band. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do this. I did get married early, right out of college. And then uh, my husband and I moved to Atlanta. And I just started doing all kinds of work in Atlanta, singing in restaurants and clubs, and uh, started doing a lot of studio work, singing jingles and background vocals for people. And that is what ultimately led to my voiceover career, which led to Siri.
1: I want to go back just a second and touch on, like, obviously when I talk to Susan Bennett today, I'm talking to a, a fully evolved uh human being but who were you as as a kid Like, what was your personality like and, and who were you back then
0: well i don't know if you, you think much of astrology but i have four planets in leo and two of them one one the sun sign and one the rising sign so
1: what's, what's all that mean
0: well leos are are probably known for being pretty strong and aggressive and and sort of bossy and you know, just gonna. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for my Libra moon. <laughs> but when I was a little kid, I was a, yeah, I was very energetic and I was very, you know, just running all over the place. And then I totally changed personality because this is an interesting, and, and talk about something that happened that directed my life. I mean, this thing totally changed my personality. Uh, my parents lived in Massachusetts. Uh, during the McCarthy era, when they were spying on people because they thought they were communists. Well, the FBI came into our house and was was there for several weeks spying on our neighbor. Mm. And so that just, it. I mean, I think it totally freaked me out. I couldn't stand having people in the house that that weren't invited, really. And so that, I think that really had an effect on my personality for many years. And it took me, it took me a while before I came back out and started to be more gregarious, you know, uh, really that, uh, that experience really kind of freaked me out.
1: Cause you know, going back to the point I was making earlier, about, I really do believe that greatness is not by accident, that it really is a recipe. Were there people that, who were your early like role models or people that you grew up being like, man, I want to be like them or, or they were inspirational to you.
0: You know, it's, it's funny. I enjoy different people, but I didn't necessarily look at them as role models. I had some teachers, of course, that, that I respected a lot and, you know, it's, it's really hard to say, gosh, that's a very good question. And I can't, I don't really have a specific answer for you. I think that more, more, it was an environmental thing for me. I had the opportunity to go to a very good college and, and I had the opportunity to, at that time, they were changing all of their different curriculum, curricula, because during that time, during the sixties there, everything was just really changing a lot. You know, my first year of college, you know, we had to sit down at a table and you know, they rang a little bell and you had to sit next to someone that you didn't know so that you would learn your social skills. And we went from that my freshman year to co-ed dorms, my senior year. So party. <laughs> you know, four, four really dramatic, dramatically changing years, you know. So the from from you know, freshman year to co- to senior year was a an amazing. Change. And it was a wonderful opportunity for me, having come from a very, very small town, to meet other people from all over the country and from different walks of life, people from different countries and that sort of thing, because I've been pretty sheltered in that way.
1: What about your musical influences? My
0: musical influences, oh well, you know, there are the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. When I was younger, I was a huge Barbara Streisand fan, and I listened, you know, listened to all her albums and but throughout the years, you know, and I took classical piano lessons, so, you know, I learned some classical pieces. And the first band that I was in was sort of a jazz rock fusion band. So that was a lot of fun. But I think, it, you know, as, as it evolved, I really became a lot more interested in, well, especially since my, my husband now is that he's really a fabulous uh, blues and rhythm and blues player and rock and roll. And um, so... I'm sure I was greatly influenced by him, but I've always loved, I've always loved bands more than just, you know, individual singers. So it's always bands that I like.
1: And so I know you mentioned that you were in a band in in college and how was your musical career going? I guess you, you were pursuing that down in Atlanta. What was that experience like?
0: Oh, well, in college, I went, didn't go to college in Atlanta, but I started to sing with a band in college. And then I, when I moved to Atlanta and I started to do, I, you know, I had gone to school with these people that were just really, you know, virtuosos, you know, musically. And so I didn't really think that I was good enough to play out in public. And then when I came down here and I would go to different places and go, oh, well, I can do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started to, to sing and play in clubs and restaurants and got involved in uh, doing some studio work. And uh, that that was wonderful. I met some wonderful people, and I still have friends from meeting those people back in the early 70s and working with them during during that time.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, we obviously know Atlanta today as being such a music mecca. But, oh, yeah. But at the time, it it, it wasn't that, you know? So... Like, what was the music scene like back then?
0: Well, I think there was a lot, you know, it had a lot to do with what, what music was kind of a big deal at the time. And so you, there were lots of, you know, restaurants and places where they had little jazz trios and things like that. And then there would be other places that had, you know, rock bands and, and things like that. And I ended up having a band with my husband for close to 25 years. And we did a lot of private parties and things like that. So we kind of ran the gamut of, of the type of things that, that we performed. So it was all, you know, pretty, pretty diverse and a lot and a lot of fun.
1: So tell me, you know, well, well, one thing is I always joke around with podcasting that, you know, no one grew up wanting to be a podcaster, (laughs) right? It it wasn't on my generation's radar of things to be. But how did you make the transition over from music to, to doing voiceovers?
0: Well, it was sort of accidental. As I said, I had been doing a lot of jingle singing at different studios. And this one studio that was really, really big deal for many, many years, it just closed like three years ago or so, I guess, Doppler Studios. So I did a lot of work for them. And one day I'd been singing with a group for some commercial, and I wish I could remember what commercial it was, but the voice actor didn't show up to read the copy for the spot. So the studio owner said, Susan, you don't have an accent. Come over here and read this copy. And so I went, oh, ding, 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 I can do this. And so I thought, well, here might be a whole new career because, you know, when you're a musician, that's freelance. You're never guaranteed work. And so you're always, you know, scrambling around looking for stuff to do. So I thought, well, that would be a great thing to do. And uh, so I got a voice coach and then a talent agent, and I've been doing voice work ever since.
1: And so when you first started doing voiceover work, did you realize like, whoa, this is something I really like? Like, I like doing this.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I really liked it. It came very easily to me. It was very instinctive. There are a lot of voiceover people that do come from music because reading copy I think that that does require a sense of rhythm and a good ear, you know, to me. And so it was kind of a natural transformation. And the thing that was so cool is that um, I'd already joined, well, at the time it was AFTRA and SAG were separate unions. And now it's SAG-AFTRA. They, they joined a few years ago. But it was so cool because a lot of the commercial work that was done at the time was done through the union and so you would get these incredible checks and you would get residual checks for some of the stuff that you had done it was sort of like oh wow <laughs> yeah it's like i guess i'm not going to play the piano at the you know at that little <laughs> restaurant anymore i think i'll just do this <laughs> yeah cuz
1: you know i had the pleasure of interviewing this gentleman by the name of DJ Clark Kent and he talks about how you know he's he's a dj he's a and would and he's big in the sneaker world and he's kind of a jack of all trades, but he always says that everything I do, I do as a DJ. And that allows me to be great, be great at every other thing that I do because my approach to it is as a DJ.
0: Oh, that's interesting.
1: Do you feel like because of your career as as a musician and as an artist, that that approach has allowed you to be successful in the voiceover world? And, and if so, how?
0: As I said, I think that, that being a musician and having a good ear and also as a musician, I think, you know, any kind of artist, whether it's, you know, someone in the visual arts or music or literature or anything like that, I think that, that artists tend to have a more open mind, more, you know, compassion and empathy for other people and, and more, you know, sort of instinctive reactions to certain things. So I think that a lot of, what I ended up doing in the voiceover field came to me instinctively. And a lot of that was because of just being able to hear the differences and things, which I attribute to, to being musical, you know? So
1: I know you mentioned, um, getting an agent and that sounds so kind of easy, but it, when you say it, but it's something that like doesn't register, as something to do right away, like, oh, I'm going to do voiceovers and let me get an agent. How did you know to go about, like, that process uh, of getting an agent?
0: Well, the process of getting into voiceover then is so different than it is now because, you know, this was pre-technology. This was pre-digital you know, digital stuff, you know, and uh, pre-personal computers and things like that. So the only way to get work was through an agent or, or to be, you know, to avail yourself to all the different studios that were in town. There was Doppler and Master Sound, RKM. And, you know, it was a pretty thriving community. I mean, you could actually, I mean, when I was a jingle singer, you could actually make a living doing that. You know, I would have several gigs like that a week because that's, you know, at that time they were having original music done for commercials. You know, then we've been through a whole big thing now where they're using old rock rock songs for commercials and, right. you know, and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, different trends in different decades and you sort of have to keep up with all of that. But gosh, I think I digressed and forgot the original question.
1: <laughs> you know what though, Susan, I always, as I grow older, I start to realize that life is made up of moments and mm-hmm. there's so many days, but I don't know what I was doing, like March third of nineteen ninety eight. I have no idea, but I do remember like the big things, sad or or happy moments in my life. They stick. Right. They stick with me. And your professional career as as a voiceover actor. What was your first? I call them oh shit moments when you go oh.
0: <laughs> when you go
1: oh shit, this is awesome and this is fantastic.
0: Yeah, I think it was that very first day. That very first day when I had that you Know when the when the studio owner said Susan come over here and I just went, ooh, <laughs> boing. <laughs> and then when I was able to do it and they used it, you know, it was like, oh, this is great. Oh shit, it's exactly right. It's you know, yeah, that was definitely a a, a huge moment. I've been so fortunate. I've in doing a lot of interesting voiceover work, but also, you know, interesting music work. And um I toured with Bert backrack and Roy Orbison. yeah, And that was just, I mean, I look back on my life and I go, wow, <laughs> I've done some cool stuff. Y- yeah.
1: yeah. So how many years, we now know you as the voice of, of Siri, but how many years had you been putting in that work? I think for young people, they just see the quick success of like the way I, Instagram is now and you can get things instantly. But you know, I had, a, I had a crazy moment when I, I got to interview this guy named Bruce Wadeen, who was Michael Jackson's engineer. And I realized, like, he, he recorded Thriller. And I realized, like, whoa. Oh, oh Bruce is...
0: My absolute favorites oh. of all time.
1: And yeah. you know what? Bruce, I, when I was in his house, I realized, like, wow, this dude recorded Thriller when he was in his 50s. Like, his, his greatest success came after putting in yeah. 30 years worth of work. How much yeah. time went into... You being a voiceover actor until your big, big moment that we all know today as you being the voice of Siri.
0: Well, let's let's do the math. <laughs> I started doing voiceovers probably in the mid-70s. So that's 75, 85, 95, 2005. So we've got like, oh, uh, then Siri came. So it's like like close to 40 years. Wow. Close to 40 years. And the thing is that. Uh, This is one of the things I talk about in my series speaker events that I do. I talk about the recordings. I talk about the voiceover business, but I talk about how it affected me and how I had to deal with it. And one of the things I talk about, because you're right, kids just, they're so used to things being instantaneous. And I always talk to them too about saying, you know, success isn't necessarily just having, you know, tons of money and, and being able to buy this and that and this and that. A lot of success has to, for me, success was being able to make a living doing what I love. And I've been so fortunate. Quick, quick, let me knock wood. (laughs) Yeah. I've been so fortunate to be able to do that. And to me, anything above that was just gravy, you know? And so uh, I've been extremely fortunate.
1: So tell me, like, how did the Siri opportunity, you know, come about?
0: Well, I didn't realize it was... An opportunity. There were four original Siri voices. Uh, The North American voice was me. And then there was an Australian, British, and I think the fourth one was French. And two of those people were males. The British guy, John Briggs, uh, was Daniel. And I'm not sure about the French guy, but we were the originals. And so we sort of, in a way, paid the price because it was the very first, in a way, it was like the very first public manifestation of AI we were the first virtual assistants and we were sort of breaking ground. And because of that, we didn't really know what we had done when we, when we were doing the recordings, I did my initial recordings in 2005 and I know that the other people had the same experience because I talked to them and we all thought that we were just doing some sort of generic phone messaging stuff. Now we knew there was something a little different because the scripts were so crazy. The scripts were for IVR, which is Interactive Voice Response. So every voice that you hear that is an informational type voice, like any virtual assistant, like Siri, Alexa, Cortana, Google, or any GPS voice, all of those voices came from these types of recordings. And the things that make them wacky are. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. They just wanted to get all of the sound combinations possible in the language. And so these sentences that I had to read sounded like these are actual phrases that ultimately became part of Siri. Cow hoist in the tub hut today. Militia oi hallucinate. Buckra okra ooze. Fossa ask fossa ask fussy. You know, crazy stuff. Yeah. And so you'd read hours of, of this stuff. And eventually, and the thing that made it tedious was not just the the amount of time, but every phrase had to be read exactly alike. No change in pitch, no change in pacing, the same tone all the way throughout. And it was quite monotone because all of the sounds within the phrases had to be in the same level for the concatenation process. And what that means is that technicians and computers would go into the recordings extract sounds, reform these sounds into new phrases and sentences. And these are what ended up on our devices as Siri and Alexis, etc, answers to our questions. So it's just an incredibly amazing process that I can't really get my mind around because I'm not very techy at all. <laughs> but it was just an, you know a really a really incredible process. And when you go back and listen to Siri on the iPhone 4S, you'll hear that she talks a bit like this. She doesn't have a flow to her voice because that required a little bit more technological advancement, you know? And so now the current Siri and the voice of course was changed. So Siri is now a millennial, but it's a lot more flowing and it sounds a lot more human. And that's because of the advancement in technology.
1: Like who, who reached out? Did you know that it was for Apple or? No. Oh, not, not, not at all.
0: And I have never heard from Apple in any way, shape, or form.
1: Wow. Wait, so yes. where, where, did, where did you record the, where was the session held?
0: I recorded it from home in my home studio. And uh, I recorded it through a liaison company here in Atlanta to the IV, the biggest IVR company in the world, which is called Nuance. And I think Apple may have bought Nuance because they got all of their voices from Nuance, but it was one of those things where, you know, the subsequent voices, you probably will not ever find out who they are because they now, they have non-disclosure agreements. The original four voices, we didn't have NDAs. And so we're allowed to, to advertise who we are. And so because of that, I was able to come up with a brand new career thanks to Siri um, and uh, do speaker events and Siri appearances and things like that, which has been really, really fun. So.
1: Wow. Uh, How did it come to be that you would find out that you were the voice uh, of Siri?
0: Well, I got an email. Siri appeared on October 4th, 2011. And that very day, I got an email from a fellow voice actor who said, hey, we're playing around with this new iPhone app. Isn't this you? And I went, what? And so I went on the Apple site and listened and I went, Oh my God, <laughs> because something like that and you don't know about it. It's like, well, usually it's something of this big a deal. You'd be auditioning for weeks, you know? And um, I guess what I can say is that in the digital age, all of us voice actors are auditioning all the time, whether we know it or not. And so my voice apparently was, was chosen out of some big uh, IVR bank of voices. I don't know who chose it. I don't know when they chose it. I don't know anything about it. And Apple has not really disclosed that information.
1: Wow. That was uh, a, <laughs> what, what is that initial feeling like of just realizing that your phone, you know, I, I think for me, even as, as an artist, you know, I think about my my musical career and you'd always dream of like, whoa, people knowing your name or knowing your voice and knowing your music. And what was that feeling like to realize like, whoa, every device has my Yeah. Voice on it.
0: Well, it was kind of horrifying actually. And it took me a very long time to reveal myself because I thought, because I love my voiceover career. And I've had an opportunity to do a lot of different, you know, things within the voiceover business. And I thought, oh boy, you know, if people find out this is me, that that's it. I'm gonna be Siri from now on. I'm gonna not be able to do anything but Siri voice or computer voice and all this stuff. So I really wasn't sure how to approach it. And Because it was such a unique situation, no one else knew what to do with it either, you know? And so eventually I listened to my husband and son who were just pestering me the whole time to go (laughs) saying, this is such a unique opportunity. You really need to to grab it. And finally, I just decided, yeah, I guess I should. And so um, I jumped into the fray. But what I had suspected would happen did indeed happen. And of course, a lot of it, there are a lot of factors too somewhat is, you know, my age and the number of years that I've been in voiceover. So I end up doing a lot of messaging and narrations and that sort of thing. And, and I've appeared as lots and lots of computers. <laughs>
1: yeah. Cause as I talk to you now in this interview, your vocal tone is different, uh, as Siri, like, right. how did you know how to like navigate and change your vocal tone?
0: Well, I didn't really. Although I'd have to say probably the fact that the original Siri voice was a little bit lower in my register because I was working so hard. I was just reading, you know, for hours on end. And also, I think that the voice was manipulated to sound a certain way. I had read that one of the early engineers on the Siri project said they'd been looking for a voice that was otherworldly and had a very dry sense of humor. And so uh you know so they picked my voice I guess. <laughs> 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 and uh yes that I speak up here but Siri was down there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was the original voice of Siri. And she was quite she was quite snarky too. You had to be careful what you said to Siri cuz no telling what she'd respond with.
1: That's so cool. <laughs> Susan, you know um through my career There are certain things, whether it's a podcast episode, whether it's a song or music video that I made, I, you know, I watch it, but I watch it and I I feel a different thing from watching it because I think about where I was in my life at that time. Mm -hmm. It kind of symbolizes a timestamp or a moment. And it has a um, special meaning to me that the audience would never know because they weren't there. Right. What does series symbolize to you personally, like in, in your life? When, when you think of it or, or, or you hear it on the Apple device?
0: Oh, hmm. well, you know, it's something that I had to learn to accept. I didn't like the idea at first. So therefore it turned out to be an incredible life lesson. You know, I think that five things in life are very important. Gratitude, love, acceptance, faith, and a sense of humor. And so I really had to hit that acceptance thing. and uh, and the, the amazing thing is that once you face your fear or you or you face yourself worrying that you won't be able to to do something well enough or, you're oh, I'm not good enough to do that kind of thing. And once you can get over all those fears and all those objections that you have, you know, just personally and make take make that leap of faith and uh, nine times out of ten, the universe uh, sort of, quote, has your back. And that's exactly what happened to me. When I finally made the decision to reveal myself as the voice, everything just opened up and uh, I did all kinds of interviews and, you know, radio and TV appearances and things like that. And then ultimately, thanks to Siri, I've got a whole new career pretty late in my life, you know, doing speaker events and, and, um, and I did get to. Um, I never met Steve Jobs. He actually died the day after Siri was introduced, which is a shame. I'm sorry that he didn't get to see what a what a phenomenon it turned out to be. But I did get to meet his partner, Steve Wozniak, or Woz, and he's the one that encouraged me to do the speaker events. He said, "You're you're very comfortable on stage." He said, "You really ought to look into this." So, yeah. So it's ended up being a good thing. I mean, the lesson for me is that okay. You know the old uh, thing of you know making lemonade out of lemons, and that's just that's just the way it is. You know, you, there are certain things you're not going to be able to change, and some things that you'll find in life, you'll have obstacles, or you'll have something that really seems unfair, and it's it really bothers you. And the thing is that you you really have to kind of think through it and figure out how it could possibly be a lesson, or how it could possibly be a stepping stone to something something more positive. But I, I just know that the people that that get really hurt about something or really upset over something and they just can't let it go, the only person who suffers in that case is that person, you know, not the person that created the issue or, you know, created the scenario. It's the person that won't let it go that suffers.
1: I have two more questions for you. I've had the pleasure of interviewing people who you know, when I asked them like, yeah, you know, like about their these amazing moments in their life, yeah. They were just like man, I was just doing my job and just like, you know, poof, it's like something something happened.
0: Yeah.
1: And sometimes you get defined by that magical thing that you created. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But how would you define Susan Bennett and, and who you are and in, in your work?
0: Hmm. Oh dear. Well, I like to think that uh, that I'm flexible. I like to think that um, I'm open to doing different things and new things, and I really do. The one of the reasons that I loved the voiceover business and also music as well is that every every day was different. You know, every every job was different, every audience was different, and uh, so that was a lot of fun for me to learn how to adapt to each different situation, and you know, try to make it a good situation.
1: And my closing question is, is um, as I mentioned earlier, I got the chance of interviewing Bruce Wedeen, who's MJ's uh, engineer. And this question was spawned from him because I was sitting in his home and interviewing him and looking at all the plaques on the walls and all the Grammys and all the pictures and all, like, it was like a museum. Yeah. of yeah. Of just, <laughs> whoa. And as I'm sitting there interviewing him, I realize that's a lot of sacrifice. Every Grammy symbolizes maybe a birthday that you missed. Oh yeah. You know, maybe, maybe it was a, a, uh, that dinner with a friend that you couldn't go to or that vacation you didn't go on, uh, because you were working and striving for greatness. And I realized that greatness comes with sacrifice. Um, Susan, what have you had to sacrifice, uh, in your career, to achieve the amazing things in life that you've achieved?
0: Well, I, uh, I don't really think of myself as sacrificing much during the years when I was traveling, when I was on tour, I have to thank my first husband very much. You know, thank you, Kurt, for helping raise our son. And uh, fortunately I wasn't gone for long, long, long periods of time, but in a way that was kind of a sacrifice, you know, and, you you know, a motherhood is, is a guilt trip anyway. <laughs> so when you're doing something like that, it's uh, you feel doubly guilty. But I think that that I really love the flexibility, learning to deal with a lot of different situations. And probably the most important thing for me personally was, as I said before, just being able to get through life utilizing the gifts that I was given, mm. you know, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not Lady Gaga, I'm not Beyonce, but I had a whole career of playing music and singing and, you know, have a great life. <laughs> so, you know, I think sometimes people think that, well, if I can't be the pinnacle of stuff, then I shouldn't even try. Well, no, that's not true at all. You know, and especially if you're an artist in any kind of artistic endeavor, you know, just, you know, doing it is is worth it. I, I saw a wonderful quote by... Um, Now I'm going to be able to see his face and not think of his name. Kirk Vonnegut, a famous author. And he talked about the fact that he learned something from professional musician. He was saying, well, you know, no, I I don't, you know, I don't, I can sort of play the piano, but I, you know, I don't play because it's, you know, I'm not very good. And the guy says, well, that's just ridiculous. You need to play. If you can play, play. Because, Mm. you know, you, you just don't know what it's giving you. You know, it's giving you a lot just being able to make any kind of music. So you know, you have to be really careful. You know, I'm up for everybody going after their dream and stuff, but first of all, you kind of have to be realistic about it. You know, I mean, you're probably not going to be the next big runway model if you're five two. Okay, you know, there are certain <laughs> just yeah. limitations, and so I think it's really important to know yourself, know your own limitations, know the ones that maybe you can overcome. You know, and and then, you know, life as they say, life is life is short. So you don't want to waste it, just feeling bad, and uh, just you know find the thing that you love. And it whether you whether you can make a living doing that or not, do it anyway on the side. You know, get some other job to, to pay the bills, and then you know, do that. I think it's important for us to feed our souls you know, in whatever way we can. And even if you're not an artistic person, I mean, you can appreciate art and you can appreciate music and, uh, you know, that's, and just make that part of your life. It's always, it's, for me, that's something that always makes life better. I mean, I listen to music constantly.
1: That's right. One more question came in my mind. I'll, I'll let you go. But what, when you hear your voice on the device, what do you hear?
0: Well, I, I hear myself, I recognize my voice, but I'm sort of disconnected from it, you know? I don't think of myself as Siri, you know? I think of myself as a voice, voice actor who provided the voice for Siri. And so, I, you know, I sometimes I find it, you know, quite amusing. You know, the first time I talked to Siri, you know, years and years and years ago, I said, well, hi, Siri, what are you doing? And she very disgustedly said...
1: I'm talking to you. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> That's so awesome. Susan, thank you so much for being a guest on the show on silent giants. And, and, you know, I always want to leave you with this because, you know, it's such an honor to meet with you and, you know, leaving an impact on popular culture. You know, I, I think that um, I'm just really grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you and learn your story and, and learn who you are. And thank you for your contributions. You know, it honestly inspires people.
0: Well, thank you. And I want to thank you because I've done a lot of interviews. And I think you, you do a great job. And you ask some great questions. So,
1: Thank you so much, Susan. Kudos to you, too. <laughs> Take care, right
0: Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Silent Giant's And to our special guest, Susan Bennett, be sure to subscribe to Silent Giants on Apple and leave us a five star rating in the Apple app. And let me know what your favorite episode of Silent Giants has been thus far or who you think we should have on the show. Also, check out my other show, OPP with Corey Cambridge. OPP stands for Other People's Podcasts. It's a podcast where I interview America's top podcasters to learn more about them and the dope shows they created. You can find OPP with Corey Cambridge on Apple as well. This episode was mixed by Compost Media Flow. And lastly, before I get out of here, let me leave you with this. Always remember, creativity is intelligence. Having fun. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge, signing off. Till next time.